0: Good morning. and uh, My name is Louis Menjivar. I'm the young adult and associate teaching pastor here. I get the privilege of being able to share with you this weekend. Um, But some of you may have noticed we have an insert in uh, your handout this weekend and just kind of informing you about our upcoming summer series. We're calling Heroes of Faith. And uh, it's starting a little before summer, but it's going to take us in and through the summer months. And um, you know we have a yearly tradition of inviting uh, guests to come and share their perspective on a given theme and this year is going to be no different. And so we're looking forward to having some familiar faces, some some new guests that are going to be joining us as they all share about um, whom they would consider a hero from the Old Testament. And so they're going to share about that, and we're going to talk about how, wh- how the, what an impact that would have on our daily lives. And so I want to make you aware of that. love to invite you uh, to join us for that. But, um, you know, this weekend we're going to be finishing, completing our Transforming Life series. And um, I'm excited for what we're going to get to share in here together. But uh, before we jump into it, I'd love to just ask for his blessing, pray over this remainder of our time, and if you wouldn't mind joining me, I'll go ahead and do that. Um, so, Lord, we just, uh, we thank you for the great reminder that your love truly, it is, uh, it is deep beyond measure, and it is able to not just uh, speak to us, but envelop us, warm us, embrace us, and uh, we thank you, God, for the reminder that every time we come into your house and we make intentional effort to make space in our lives to hear you, you are faithful. You, you reveal yourself in a way that is so tender and gracious and merciful. And so I pray, God, that as we listen in on a conversation between, between Jesus and one whom he loved, that something of your spirit would flow and that we would be able to give you access to our hearts, our minds, and that perhaps you may have a word for us personally. We, we invite your joy to remain here in our midst, and um, we ask for your blessing over this word, the remainder of our time. We, we pray for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Transforming life. We have been walking through this theme, and we've been doing it in such a way that we've been looking at it through a lens of one of the apostles, the Apostle John. And last week, we ended up, arriving at a point where it's the final chapter of John's gospel account. It's John 21. And we, we looked at a pretty r- miraculous, remarkable event where seven of the 12 disciples got to have breakfast with Jesus. And um, they ended up having a conversation with Peter that was, was so wonderful to be able to take part in. But there's something else in this account And Jesus, after restoring Peter, ends up turning the corner. And we're going to just jump in right where we left off. If you wouldn't mind just opening up your handout, we'll go ahead and jump into this together. And we're told in verse uh, 17 of John 21, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And Jesus stepped into this conversation seeking to restore Peter, three times reaffirming the love that was denied, three times repositioning him for the post he had abandoned. Everyone at this breakfast was well aware that this conversation had to take place. But what Jesus says next actually turned a corner. No one expected it would go. He does something we we don't really see Jesus do an awful lot. He looks at Peter and then he goes into another piece of this conversation. This is what he says in verse 18. I tell you the truth, Peter. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, Follow me. This conversation, if we remember, it was on the dawn of a new morning. It was on the shores of Galilee, the northern part of Israel, and the seven disciples who were able to be there, John was one of them, ended up, six of the disciples ended up witnessing this conversation. It was after breakfast, so John, uh, Jesus and Peter had just finished eating, and, and Jesus ends up restoring Peter. And then he ends up communicating these words that must have simultaneously caused Peter to feel a sense of troubling sensation and comfort all at once. It must have shocked him to hear these words spoken to him. Why? Because, well, what Jesus essentially told Peter is that, Peter, you're going to die for me. I've looked into your future, and I've seen where this is leading. You're going to give your life up for me. And I just wonder if any of us would ever have a word spoken into our lives illuminating where our trajectory is headed and where it's destined to arrive, I wonder how many of us, given the choice, would choose that? And if we were to be revealed that this is the way our life is going to go, perhaps, I wonder, would it cause us to adjust or think about the way we live our day-to-day lives Would it cause us to reevaluate some things? Would it cause us to think about the mechanisms by which we say today was a good day? This must have troubled Peter, no doubt. But it also must have comforted him. Because what was he being told? He was being told that, Peter, your destiny is to be a man who is faithful. You will be a man who is faithful. This Peter, by the way, who had just finished having a conversation that needed to reaffirm a love he had denied three times. He had so shamefully, disappointingly turned his back on Jesus, was now being told, listen, Peter, that did happen, but that will not mark your life. No, what you will be known for is you will be what you always longed to be. You will be faithful. In your older years, this will happen and you will stand. You will stand strong through it. And Peter, not realizing this was what was going to be said, and everyone else probably shocked. He himself is one who doesn't hold his cars close to the vest. He wears his heart on his sleeve, as it were. He says what's on his mind. And we love it because we get to live out of it. But he ends up responding to what Jesus says, this moment. It must have caused everyone to just stop. And what does he say? We're told, John says in verse 20, that Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, which is John's way of designating himself. What a way, is the disciple Jesus loved? It's great. He says, and John puts this little reference to an earlier incident in his own gospel account. Expecting us to be familiar with it. But he says, the one, if you remember, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the Last Supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? That one, that would be the disciple Jesus loved, John. Verse 21, Peter asks. He, he realizes that he's right there. And so Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? And so the picture that's given, it's interesting, right? It's like, uh, he, they're, having, they're having this conversation. The the other six are behind him. He hears these penetrating words that must have caused him a high degree of tension. And immediately here's Peter's response as he looks back, he recognizes his friend, John, whom by the way, many believe it's John is the one he ran to on that night when he ran out with bitter tears flowing after having denied Jesus three times. John, the one that we, we discussed last week, ended up knowing it was Jesus and saying, Peter, go. That, it's the Lord. That John, this, this friendship, this camaraderie that they had ends up revealing itself a bit. He turns around, and he hears these words, and he says, okay, uh, what about his future? Um, it, like, what about him? Is, is he going to go through? Like, This is a team effort, right? Uh, you're not just saying this is only me, are you? I mean, what about John? We don't know exactly why he asked this. We don't know what his reasons were or his motivations were. We may not understand or fully appreciate it all, but what we do know, what we do, and some have speculated, is that Peter and John, they weren't just friends and um, brothers spiritually, but they also had a degree of competitiveness between them. Uh, we, know, we know, for example, that Peter was the designated leader of the 12. No, everyone understood that. He, no one needed to say it. He, he was the one who led the charge with them. And yet it was John who oftentimes, as we explored last week, would intuitively understand Jesus before anyone else. It was also John whom Jesus, while on the cross, seeing John and his mother, ends up entrusting the care of his own mother to him. Seems to many that John ended up receiving the highest degree of confidence from Jesus. And so this may have been yet another, whoa, okay, if that's my task, his must be tougher, right? (laughs) Right? Is that the way it goes? Or perhaps, maybe it was actually genuine care. We don't know. It may have been that he so appreciated his friendship said lord if you want me to do this then will i have my friend to be able to walk with through this journey will he be able to go with me into this will I have him because i've come to depend and appreciate him so we don't know but in the midst of that this response that peter kind of just vocalizes without really really fully thinking through ends up <laughs> ends up initiating the last rebuke jesus will give peter before his ascension. This is what he says. John writes it this way in verse 22. Jesus replied, listen, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Don't, what, John, my business with John is my business with John. It doesn't concern you. Stop looking, look, the thing I'm addressing right now is not John. I'm addressing you. And what I'm asking of you is that you need to focus on this one thing. Follow me. Follow me. That It's like, no, no, let's redirect. Let's come back. Okay, Peter, st- stop worrying about your friends. Listen to what I'm asking of you. Follow me. And yet that, that verse, that, that term, if, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? That Apparently, the rest of the disciples heard that. And they, they must have taken him semi-literally because we, we, we know that something of a rumor started to flow through the early church that John would be one, the exceptional one, who would not die. They they took him literally, Jesus said it, and with every year that passed and John remained alive, it ended up gaining a degree of credibility. Why? Because John ended up living beyond any other original apostle. And so this stirring of of somewhat of a myth rumor started to flow. Perhaps it's true. And John in his older years, I just love this, it just kind of shows the inner workings of an early church, of a community of faith. John ends up feeling the need to address it. He says in verse 23, so the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. This is where it all began, guys. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? He was only meaning to make a hyperbole to say, Peter, if I want John to never die, even that shouldn't distract you from the fact that I'm asking you to follow me. Right? And we know that John. John ends up living a life full of wonderful ministry. In fact, we know that he um, ends up serving for many years. And what happens is after the day of Pentecost, when God's Spirit descends upon the believers in the upper room, that we know that he ends up stepping forward and becoming a formidable teammate to Peter. And they end up becoming the the leaders of the early church. And And John ends up becoming a man who is a leader in his own right highly revered and recognized throughout the early church for the impact he was making. And yet, we should be reminded that he didn't start there. He actually started in a very dynamically different place. And several weeks ago, we looked at a passage that kind of illuminated a piece of his character. And I thought it'd be good for us to just revisit it in Luke 9. We'll just kind of walk through this. We're told that, and as they went, they being the disciples of Jesus, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, him being Jesus. But they did not receive him, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said to the Lord, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Just as Elijah did. Which to us, it sounds ludicrous, right? But they were earnest. And we talked about this. They're making their way from Galilee, which is northern Israel, through Samaria, which is in the middle, and Jerusalem is in the south. And as they're making their way, they're walking through Samaria, a section of the region that had high racial tensions and prejudices, low toleration for anyone who was not Samaritan or Jewish. It was was like oil and water. And as they make their way there, they find out Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, then we have no room for you. We do not tolerate your kind here. Please leave. And this slight ends up causing John to step over to Jesus and saying, Lord, do you want us to take care of this? Because if so, I have an idea of how. He was serious. Do you want me to call fire down upon this village? destroy that. Do you want me to do that? I I will do it. Words filled with such anger and hate, such explosive volatility came out of him. And Jesus, stunned at what he was hearing, one of his own disciples say, he he rebukes him sharply, and he looks at him and he says, do you know what spirit you are of? Do you, do you understand how far removed you are from me? No, the Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save them. You are so off of what I came to do. This man, passionate, fiery, temperamental, had his own source of justice. Justice ends up through the years being affected so dramatically by the love of Christ in his life that he ends up later with Peter making their way. He goes back to Samaria. But if we can look at this and think of the contrast of the attitude and the character by which they entered this village they had one day wished fire upon. If we could read this, we find it in the book of Acts, in Acts 8, and we see in... Verse 14 says that when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, that Jesus was alive and he is king. They sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. God's presence manifested in a wonderful way, ended up filling their souls because of the prayer of Peter and John. And then if you could think of the contrast, verse 25, after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. This man who just years before had desired to call fire and destruction upon this people was now a messenger of life and love to this same group. Radical transformation that can only be attributed to the work of Christ in his soul. There's nothing else that could get credit for such an amazing turnaround. Think about it. How else could we explain it? For a man to go from a point of destruction to a point of the complete opposite, saying, God loves you. Let me pray for you. And every chance they got, they stopped, and they preached the good news. Every chance they got, all through Samaria, they preached the good news, and they tell everybody, God is here, and he's calling everyone home, and he's wanting to embrace you, and he wants to tell you of his love. There's nothing he's holding against you because of what Jesus did. Everywhere they went. A life transformed. And we know that his preaching, John's preaching, ended up taking him to a place known as Ephesus, and he ends up becoming a pastor of the church of Ephesus. And as he pastors there, he ends up mentoring future leaders of the church, leaders that some of us, it may mean more to us, some than others, but such as Polycarp and Ignatius. He would personally mentor and disciple them raise them up, and entrust the church to them. Such an impact he would have. And yet, what would happen is, at the time, obviously the church was, some of us may know this, but was under a high degree of persecution. The apostles were, were giving their lives. As Jesus had predicted Peter will, Peter did end up giving his life. And what would happen is the, the Roman Empire, emperors ended up recognizing that each time a believer gave their life, it actually ended up not doing what they wanted. It didn't snuff out the movement. It catalyzed it. And it united the church. And people started saying, you know what? If they're giving their lives for this Jesus, maybe there's something to this. I would like to be a part of it as well. So they decided with John to do something different. They said, let's not martyr him. Give them another cause. Let's isolate him. And so they ended up outcasting him, isolating him on the Isle Isle of Patmos, which is in the Aegean Sea. And it's there that John ends up having a vision of the victorious Christ and the end of age. And he has such a vision, it shows him the inevitable destiny of human history is the victory of of Jesus and everything he came to do. Causes him to write a book, the book we know as the book of Revelation or the unveiling of Christ powerful moment in his life and in 96 AD Emperor Nerva ends up releasing him pardoning him and he makes his way back to Ephesus to the church he loved to pastor and shepherd and he lived well into his 90s outliving all the other apostles and he got to a point in his 90s when he could no longer physically move and so the local church would end up every time they would gather they would end up going to where John was staying and they would carry him to their meeting place Unable to move, John would be carried by the church. And then he would be sat in the midst of them, the last remaining original apostle, and they would ask him, John, will you share something with us? Able to speak, unable to move. It is said that John said, yeah. The word he would share would be, little children love one another. Little children love one another. Only that and nothing more. An amazing testament to the transformation. This man, who was filled with passion, rage, volatility, things that were destructive in nature, ended up becoming honed. Uh, He ended up discovering God's tender power to be able to take such a character flaw, a personality weakness and transform it into a person who was dominated by his love to the point where by the end of his life he got he was known as the apostle of love why because what he would say is 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 this love one another love one another we read it all through his epistles the three that he wrote love one another it's a reminder it's a reminder that if, if, if Jesus, if God was able to do this with such a man as John, well, he could definitely do it with you and I. You know, we, we should see that not just as a sign of the rich inheritance we have in, 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 this, in this faith of ours, this rich heritage, but it also reminds us that Jesus Listen, listen, Jesus is in the the mode of transforming anyone who would seek to sign up with him. It doesn't really, as long as he's there and we're willing, he is able to shift and shape, hone, conquer, chisel, reform, restore, and then have a beautiful expression. It should encourage us. It should speak something of life to us. He did it with John. He longs to do it with you and I. That is his desire, which is a beautiful picture. And yet this account, this conversation that occurred between Jesus and Peter, it, it also has a couple things for us to consider, to chew on, and to be able to think about in our daily day lives. And so I'd just like to put this under reflections if we were to go back to that conversation. Firstly, I'd like to suggest that that conversation reveals we are to care for one another, but not compare. That there is something of our faith that calls us, on the one hand, to care for one another, to love one another, to serve one another, to strengthen one another, pray for one another. There is absolutely, I mean, Jesus said it to the disciples. He said, listen, they will know you. They will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. That is absolutely part of what we're supposed to engage in. And yet, if you could hear it, something of us is supposed to have our eyes on each other. And yet, something of us is supposed to not have or have our eyes off of each other. We're to care, not compare. We're to care, not compare. What about John? John, no, I'm talking to you. Why are you measuring yourself up? No, this is me and you right here. I'm asking you to follow me. That's what I'm asking you to do, Peter. Don't worry about John. He's not part of this conversation. Why? Why would he? Why? Because it's there. It's there that majority of our struggle is found. It is there that we, when we, listen, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put them onto someone else and we start to compare, what happens? Struggle increases dramatically. It's what happens. It it happens. It may happen in a a community of faith. Absolutely. We may compare ourselves to each other. We may think perhaps what. Man, we might see somebody else getting blessed. We might think to ourselves, what, "What? What about me?" And it may happen in a church community, but it absolutely happens in a work environment. You got a you got a promotion. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Why? Because internally, we're, we're measuring things up, and we're saying, you know what? Wait a minute. According to my calculations, I, wh- I've i been here longer. I've been working harder. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. All of a sudden, you... Obviously, this isn't fair. You, you don't deserve it. So, obviously. Or maybe, I sh- maybe, it shouldn't, maybe it's not that I should receive it, but definitely not you. <laughs> I have I've compared, they, I mean, come on. Right? That happens. And it's there. It's there that we, man, it just removes strength from us. It like just depletes it. It removes courage from us. Defeats us. Maybe it's not in work. Maybe it's in social settings. Maybe we are struggling with something. We have a longing. We have something of a desire. And we're, we're, honestly, we're we're fighting to trust in the Lord. And we're fighting to stay in a positive place. And all the while, in the area we are struggling and longing for, we see someone else walk right next to us, striving in that exact area. And what happens? We start to see that, and we say, why (laughs) it's in home why why not me why am i the only one why is this trial singled out for me why are you doing this we ask that right we we have these dialogues internally we absolutely have these conversations By ourselves, And we think about this, and here's the irony of it. The irony is that we may be struggling, but we're putting our best face forward, we're putting our best foot forward, and all the while, we're standing right next to somebody who may be thinking the exact same thing about us. Why? Because God's path is uniquely shaped to each one of us. And he has a way for each one of us, not meant for us to measure against each other, but meant for us to be able to discover to discover for ourselves and own it for ourselves. This is what he was saying to Peter. If I want John to live forever, that, honestly, it shouldn't affect the fact that I'm asking you to follow me, which leads us to this second idea that we, are to, we, we need to be most concerned with what he asks us to do. That if there's anything that should grip our attention, anything that should grab our focus, it should be, what are you asking me to do? Peter I'm asking you to follow me. And it's not, a, it's not a request or an invitation he only makes to Peter. He makes it to anyone who would listen, anyone who would seek to grab that invitation. He asks us, will you follow me, Jesus asks. It's there, right there. Will you, in a certain way, put everything else aside? And I know life gets in the way. I know circumstances push. I know certain things come up. And they start to blind us to certain things. So let's, let's bring you back to where this all began. Why? Because Jesus, he had said this to Peter once before. Except that first time, it was about three years before Peter was a fisherman by trade. He meets Jesus for the first time, and he tells Peter, I want to make you into a fisher of men. Will you follow me? That's where this all began, Peter. Do you remember that? Well, now that this is kind of coming to a different transition, let's go back to that starting point. Square one. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? That is his request of all of us. And what happens? when we start to dig into that and wrestle with what does this look like in my own life, you know what happens? We start to discover that we have an assignment. And we have an assignment that's uniquely made for us. We we start to discover that we were formed with a purpose. We were formed with something to fulfill that isn't just about our own lives. It is connected to something of a greater picture of what God wants to do through us. And that assignment, if we were to listen in the same way Peter, we know does. It ends up calling the best out of us. And you know what happens? It ends up calling courage and strength out of us. It ends up pulling things out of us we didn't know were there. It ends up instilling things into us God wants to form and shape. It ends up making us into the men and women we long to be. There is no doubt Peter wanted to be that faithful man. And Jesus looked at him and he said, if you follow me, you will be. You will be that. You will. It is a mechanism that God utilizes, a tool to shape, to form, to transform. That is his way. That is his way. When we decide to focus our attention on what he is asking us to do, there, there is where we find a sense of identity, a sense of, you know what, Lord? I am satisfied with your assignment for me. I am satisfied with what you're calling me to do. Help me do it to the best of my ability. There is where we find life. Right there. As we come to the end of our series, I think it's good for us to reflect a little bit, to consider some questions. This will be our third thought How has He already transformed us? What more does He want to transform? How has He already been working in our lives? in this season of our life? What, what has he already been shifting? It is good to acknowledge progress. It is good to notice, even though it may just be a centimeter, you know what, Lord? Your grace has moved me one centimeter. And I thank you for that. I thank you I'm not who I used to be. I thank you that your grace has brought me to a point where I can see a change has started it has started. Let's acknowledge it. Let's not forget it easily. Let's look at it, highlight it. Let's remind ourselves of it, especially, especially when we may feel discouraged or down. It is there that we need to take a step back and look at the larger landscape of our life and see, God, where have you already transformed me? Why? Because in the same way you did there, guess what? You may want to do here. So I just wonder, what, what is it? What, what, if we were to define, this is what God is putting his finger on right now. What character quality is he saying, this, this you have accepted as a flaw that is inevitable, and I say to you, not anymore. Let's make this weakness into my strength. What is that? Or perhaps it's a Disposition. It's an inner bent on a certain way of life that we may have been modeled before us. It may have been in the environment we grew up in. It may be all that we know, and yet now Jesus is in the picture, and he's saying, okay, I have a new model for you. I want you to learn a different way. Let's let's work on this. Maybe it's an attitude by which we carry ourselves. Let's work on this. Let's let's demonstrate grace that you have received. Let's, let's, Let's start giving it away. Let's start giving others patience and room. Let's let's seek to become encouragers who lifts others up. Let's do that. Why? That's not in me. It's okay. Because it's in Jesus. And Jesus longs to instill those things that are his into us. That is his desire how else could we explain? Listen, the beautiful thing is we end up becoming the people he longs for us to be. We end up getting the pleasure of that, but something else, we end up becoming vehicles of him doing that in other people's lives. Remember, it was John who wanted to call fire down on Samaria who became the vessel who said, receive God's presence. It was John who transformed not just for John's sake, but for the sake of those Jesus wanted to touch. Who in our relationships, who in our spheres of influence does he want to touch? Listen, may our homes be stronger because of his life-transforming touch. May our friendships be stronger. May our community of faith be a safe place for others to experience God's loving touch and embrace. May our city be blessed because Jesus is alive and he is he is transforming anyone who would seek to receive and follow him. And through anyone who does, he loves to then invite us to be a part of his touch in other people's lives. That that is what we get to do. That is the amazing invitation he gives us. May it be so. May it be so. In a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving and In the final song meant to remind us, it begins and ends here. Will we follow him? Will we let him lead us on? It's a question for all of us to wrestle with, to decide daily, hour by hour. Let me pray, ask for his blessing over this word. We'll share in this together. So, Lord, Just thank you for the way that you are able to demonstrate your power so tenderly. You are able to speak to us so personally and yet encourage us. You do not shame us. You do not ridicule us. You invite us. You transform us. You love to show off your handiwork through a life that is transformed. I pray that you would give us the courage to be able to say yes, to be able to follow you, to allow you to lead us on. We ask, God, that you would continue the good work, not just in our lives, but through us. We pray for this. In Jesus' name. Amen.